Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. It happened again. What's that? The the Bon Jovi thing with the shower. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's been going on, I don't know, what, like three months, I would say? Well, the first time you mentioned it to me, it was, uh, yeah, about two and a half, three months ago. Yeah, okay. I don't know exactly when it started or certainly why, but every time I take a bath or a shower for months, the song Bed of Roses by Bon Jovi pops (laughs) into my head. And I don't notice that it's always happened until I'm like drying off and humming it. Oh my God. And I don't know why. There must be some sort of a medical term for this sort of thing. It's so weird. It's just when I get in the shower. Why? I go through stages. It's not always the same song, but uh, for several days now, uh, whenever I shower, uh, the theme from Golden Girls, Thank You for Being a Friend, Andrew Gold song, mm-hmm. uh, plays continuously in my head. We did watch the Golden Girls not long ago. Maybe that has something to do with it. It was the episode where Dorothy found out that she had chronic fatigue syndrome and the doctors weren't taking her seriously and she had to give them the what's what. And boy, did she. Dorothy style. Doing it Dorothy style. Oh, wow. That just conjured up all kinds of weird mental images. Anyway, uh, hey, I got a story for you. I'd love to hear it. I'll have a good ghost story, don't you? Yes, please. And we, it, we are officially in Halloween season. That's right. It's Halloween quarter. We celebrate it by the quarter here in the Box of Oddities household. The house was built in the late 1920s and into the early 30s. It sits high in the hills above Los Angeles, surrounded by trees in a quiet area of Benedict Canyon. It's a craftsman-style home and has been home to some of Hollywood's biggest stars. Ooh. And it's also incredibly haunted. That's what they say. It's located at 9820 Eastern Drive. It has honeycomb glass windows, stone stairways, and a towering turret. Um, It's very fairy tale cottage looking, but it's the furthest thing from a fairy tale. It's more like a nightmare. It was originally the home of movie star Jean Harlow and her husband, 
movie producer Paul Byrne. Wait, were people murdered in that house? Not exactly. Okay. But kind of. All right. Over the years, the house has seen a lot of tragedy. There seems to be something malevolent there that affects many of its occupants in ways that sometimes end up being kind of deadly. Hmm. Uh, Well, I guess deadly is deadly. There's no such thing as kind of deadly. (laughs) But you know what I mean. So the reason Jean Harlow and her husband moved to this house in the early 30s was because the movie studio that Jean Harlow worked for insisted that she move to a nicer neighborhood, you know, Hollywood optics and all. Gross. So initially, before actually it was right before she got married, she rented this home and moved in with her parents who stayed there. She then married Paul Byrne in the living room of the house. On September 5th, 1932, just two nights after their honeymoon, Byrne beat Jean Harlow so savagely in the downstairs bathroom of the house that it damaged Jean Harlow's kidneys. Oh my God. He then proudly showed Jean's mother what he had done to her daughter. Um, yeah. psychopath. Yeah, he sounds like a fun guy, right? Yeah, no, I mean, legit. Yeah. As the story goes, Jean tried to mend fences with him. She mm. tried to make up with him. I'd mend some fences with him. <laughs> he rejected her and left to go to his own house. She went upstairs to the bedroom um, crying. She was sobbing. And she stayed there until the next day. And that's when she was notified that Byrne had killed himself. He was found dead with a single gunshot wound from a 38 caliber revolver in his head. And uh, the revolver was in his hand. He was discovered by his house staff at his own home. Mm-hmm. Not this particular house. Got it. And it's weird because the the house staff didn't call the police immediately. They first called the studio. And his death was ruled a suicide. But there were many, including some of his colleagues in the film industry, that believed that he was murdered and that the studio covered it up to save Harlow's career. Like maybe she was involved somehow in offing him. Fair enough. But Harlow was grief-stricken by this. She, really? Are you sure it wasn't just kidney damage? <laughs> she she blamed herself for his death and ultimately <sighs> tried to take her own life by overdosing on sleeping pills. Oh, Jean. So this house was not a happy place Mm-mm. for Jean Harlow. She didn't stay there very long. She was persuaded by her parents to leave and build herself a new home. Uh, she lived in that home just for a couple of years before she died due to complications from kidney damage. Mm -hmm. So right from the beginning, this house had a lot of negative, emotionally charged energy, but this certainly wasn't the only example. In 1963, the house was purchased by Jay Sebring. He was an American celebrity hairstylist and the founder of the hairstyling corporation Sebring International. And the inspiration for the Chrysler Sebring. That's not true. Oh, okay. His celebrity clientele included Peter Lawford and Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Warren Beatty, Steve McQueen. I know who a couple of those people are. Jim Morrison of The Doors, even. It was not uncommon for Sinatra to fly Jay Sebring to Vegas for a trim. At the time, barbers were charging one, maybe two dollars for a haircut. Mm -hmm. Sebring was charging a minimum of fifty dollars. That was big money back then. How much did the flight cost, though? (laughs) A year after Jay moved into the house, he began dating aspiring actress Sharon Tate. That's why I know the house. 
They dated for a short period and eventually broke up, but remained extremely close. Even after Sharon Tate married Roman Polanski, Mm -hmm. and she was pregnant with Roman Polanski's child, she and Jay still maintained a very close friendship. On the night of August 9th, 1969, Jay, along with others, were visiting Sharon Tate at her home at 10,050 Cielo Drive. That was the night that they were all murdered by members of the Manson family. You know what's so weird is when you started telling this story and talking about this house, I thought, is that the Manson family house? And it's weird because it's not no, the Manson house. But directly but connected. But so connected to it. How, how did I get that connection? I don't know, sweetie. That's weird. That is weird. Obviously, these murders did not take place in the Harlow house. But in a 1970 interview in Fate magazine, there was an article about Sharon Tate. It was called Sharon Tate's Preview of Murder. Allegedly, Sharon Tate told journalist Dick Kleiner just before she was murdered of an eerie encounter that took place one night while she was staying at Sebring's house by herself. The story goes that Tate woke up in the middle of the night and standing there in her bedroom, she saw a, quote, strange little man just standing and staring at her. Huh. The man had a head wound. She, of course, was terrified and fled the bedroom and went down the stairs. And at the bottom of the stairs, she said she saw a figure of a person tied to the staircase and their throat was slashed. Huh. There are those who say that perhaps the ghost of Paul Byrne returned to the home to warn Sharon of what was about to happen, because this allegedly took place just prior to the Manson murders. Okay. There have been a lot of strange sightings there besides that. One family moved into the home, and on that very day, they went upstairs. Their dogs were, were following, and they were growling and barking. They seemed to be very upset about something that was in the bedrooms. Uh, Standing in the hallway, the new resident felt an unseen presence and then heard somebody whisper softly in their ear, Please help me. Stop it. Stop it. On a separate occasion, soon after they had moved in, the couple was lying in bed when they felt the bed being struck three times by a heavy object of some sort. There was nothing in the room. There was no obvious sign as to what that was. There have been reports of lights in the kitchen going on and off by themselves, and a strange formless light that was seen floating near near the ceiling, and it was just kind of the outline of a person floating near the ceiling. It's been reported that in the corner of the living room, which was right underneath Jean Harlow's former bedroom, you could hear heavy, heartbreaking sobs of a woman repeatedly. Mm. There have been reports of a light knocking at the front door, and when you go to answer it, there's no one there. There are cold spots, especially in the kitchen, unexplained wind drafts throughout the house, again, mostly in the kitchen and in the upstairs bedrooms. On one occasion, a smell of a woman's perfume seemed to appear from nowhere. I've had that kind of thing happen myself. I lived in an old farmhouse that was built in the early 1800s, and there was one spot spot in the living room where occasionally I would smell cigarette smoke and nobody in the house smoked. And I ran into the great grandson of the former owner Mm -hmm. of that home and I told him about it. And I guess the guy had died of lung cancer because he was a heavy smoker and he always sat in his chair at that spot smoking cigarettes. I don't know if it was residual smoke that had seeped into the, uh, 
into the woodwork and was just released during humid days or something, but it only happened once in a while, but it was always in that spot. That's probably one of your kids. <laughs> Smoking in the basement. Yeah. yeah. One night, the woman had a strange dream of a faulty, dangerous wall light in the upstairs bedroom. She also had a vision that her husband had separately of a bathtub full of water and a hand then reaching over and switching on the light and electrocuting themselves. So they called an electrician. When he came, he couldn't believe that there was such an out-of-date, dangerous light switch in the bathroom and replaced it with a safe one. There seems to be a lot of spiritual unrest at the Harlow House on Easton Drive in Benedict Canyon. The current owners claim, however, they've not experienced anything unusual. But we are quickly approaching the 100th anniversary of the Harlow Burn tragedy. So, who knows? What's going on there? My information came from House Beautiful, hauntedhouses.com and Wikipedia. Um, first of all, I love House Beautiful, and it's never once been a source for any of my stories, and maybe it should be. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Do you remember when I subscribed to House Beautiful and we had like 300 copies and I couldn't part with them? <laughs> there's like yeah. two things in every one that I really like. <laughs> yeah, we actually had to get a storage container just for your House Beautiful it subscription. It was a problem. Yeah, there were, there were many of them. But they made you happy. It's true. Oh, can we get a House Beautiful before we go on our trip? Sure, of course. I love magazines on an airplane. Yeah, if they're the right kind of magazines. I was sitting next to a guy on an airplane one time, and he busted out some porn mags. That's not true. It is true, and there were kids right in the area, and I asked him to put it away, and he just smirked at me. And so I had to go and tell on him. Oh, man, you went all Air Karen on him. I went Air Karen on him. This was way before Karens, too. (laughs) But not before it was not cool to look at porn on a plane. In front of children. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. 
That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now, that thing in the middle. Did you know sometimes army ants can misinterpret the scent trails left by other ants? When this happens, it's not uncommon to see several ants break away from the crowd and march in circles. Soon other ants will see them marching in circles and join in. This can result in a massive ant death spiral. Rachel sent us a message on Instagram. Hey there, so this is going to sound weird, but I was re-listening to an old episode and I got a great idea for a surprise and I want to send it to you guys, but I need to know Kat's shoe size. (laughs) Okay. Uh, If you're comfortable sending that, I'd be really excited (laughs) to send these along. If not, I'll just take my best guess. So I'm very curious about what's going to arrive from Rachel. Zapatos. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> Alice sent us uh, an email. Hey, I love your show so much, and I thought I was caught up, but now my phone is playing random episodes, and I can't seem to end the sentence. Full disclosure, I'm high as fuck. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sitting here listening to Box 325, and you're talking about the mummies and how they died with horrible looks on their faces. Mm. And I sit up and blurt out to Zelda, your entire body relaxes after you die. It's called primary relaxation. It's like instant Botox. Zelda's looking at me like, you, you, you a crazy bitch. Side note, Zelda is my beagle. <laughs> I'm just so excited that I know something that you guys are the only people that I can tell. Everyone else is asleep, but mostly they wouldn't care. So there it is. Also, I know others have probably sent the same thing in, but I'm absolutely floating right now, and this just seems super fun. It, well, it did five minutes ago. Love you guys so much. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Alice, for your middle-of-the-night high-as-fuck ramblings. We love it. This message literally just came in from Lindsay on Facebook. Hello, Kat and JG. I've been listening to you guys since the very beginning. A lot has changed in my life since I started listening to you guys. Hey, us too. When you all first started, I was working my third year at a practical FX shop making silicone dead bodies, making life (laughs) casts, molds made off people, a lot of actors, and making molds off of sculptures to make props. I loved working that job. Um, Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're not stupid, are you? Especially when I would be working by myself in the shop and listening to you guys and your weird stories. I did learn early on to keep earphones in when I listened because... 
When I would work in the mold shop, I would work so quietly that the warehouse would echo whatever audio I had playing on my phone, making the admin in their offices hear everything. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm working in a totally different environment. Since the pandemic happened, I lost my job at the FX shop, lost my apartment, and gained weight. It's not all bad, though. After being unemployed for a year, I worked a couple of office jobs, and now I'm with a newer office job working at a law office. It's kind of fun. And I share an apartment with my fiancé. But anyways, I guess I had a boo effect with your latest episode. My name is Alston, for a couple more months anyway, and Kat was talking about Theodosia Burr Alston. Besides all of my close relatives, I have never known of any other Alstons because my ancestors were slave owners and those they enslaved took their last names. Fun fact. I was told all my life that the Alstons are related to Thomas Jefferson, but after learning about Theo, I think my family took it literally, thinking that we were related by blood, where it actually sounds like the Alston name is related because of Theo's dad's working for the president. Sorry, I'm rambling. So this was refreshing to hear something about an Alston that was not in a racist manner. (laughs) And just a friendly correction to Kat, Alston is pronounced Alston. Oh my gosh, I didn't know this whole time. Sorry, it's not a big deal. I grew up with people botching my last name all throughout high school. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. I love it, and please come to California. Lindsay. Oh, my gosh. So sorry, Lindsay Alston. And I need <clears throat> and I need to apologize, too, because I took a screenshot of this email, and I cut off the name of the person who sent it, so my apologies. Uh, just past the malapropism episode. Remember that? No. That's when people say words weird. Oh, yes. Like spoonerisms kind of thing. I wanted to mention a former roomie who, whilst describing a decadent European bakery in in our neighborhood to my visiting parents, said, quote, I can't eat there too often. It'll harden my ovaries. (laughs) Raised eyebrows and a lot of laughter ensued. Also, just started a new gig and I suggested weekly one-on-one meetings with my VPs while I get acclimated. And I have to fight back the urge to sing What You Got For Me. (laughs) Every period, damn period, time. That came from Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. You too can send us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. 
Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If this podcast were at Costco or Sam's Club, you'd get scads of podcasts at once for a dollar. But they'd come shrink-wrapped on big pallets and block your driveway. And you'd grow to hate us. There's a reason we upload these babies one at a time. This is The Box of Oddities. Okay. Tell me a story, bitch. Uh, Oh. (laughs) Okay. Sharon K. Thornton went blind in 2000. She was struck by a rare skin condition that caused a severe reaction to medication. It also caused the top layer of much of her skin to die and shed. She also lost her hair and her nails. Her skin and nails returned, but after she awoke from a medically induced coma, she found she was left without sight. This is not a good day for her. No, no. In many cases, the solution would be a cornea transplant or artificial cornea, but because of the severity of her Stevens-Johnson syndrome, it left her cornea so scarred and dry, she was proclaimed legally blind. Wow. This was obviously incredibly hard for Sharon. The independent 60-year-old said the nine years of blindness almost drove her to ending her own life. She said it was very embarrassing and humiliating for my daughter to have to take care of me. It's not supposed to be that way. I'm supposed to take care of her. But her family and her friend, Rick Brister, were very supportive, researching medical options and hospitals, and booked an appointment at Bascom Palmer, about a thousand miles away from the Thornton home in Smithdale, Mississippi. So they headed to Miami to begin a series of unsuccessful surgeries that she had hoped would restore her sight. It was two years of failed grafts and transplants. Can you imagine the pain that that poor person had to endure? Do you remember when my sister had her corneas replaced? And that's a pretty simple surgery, but it was rough. Mm. I have a picture of her gross eyeball if you want to see it. (laughs) I I don't think anybody would turn that opportunity down. Okay, I'll share it. It was rough until she met Dr. Victor Perez. Perez was actually lobbying to try out a new technique when, unprompted, a fellow doctor sent Thornton to Perez's door. Perez says Thornton was a good candidate for what he was thinking because Thornton could perceive light, indicating that her optic nerve was functional. Basically, Thornton's lens was just really dirty, so she would be an ideal candidate. This procedure is also not used on patients suffering from common eye diseases, including macular degeneration, glaucoma, and retinal detachment. It's also not used on patients without teeth. Really? Yeah, you need to have at least one tooth, because the doctor's got to put that in your eyeball. Oh, okay. Explain, please. I'm very grossed out. (laughs) Tell me more. Okay, so... Thornton's would be the first surgery of its kind in the United States. The procedure is called modified osteoadentokeratoprothesis, or MOOCP. It was developed in Italy and has been performed successfully on about 1,000 patients overseas, according to Perez. The procedure 
goes like this. Uh, here we go. <clears throat> the medical team extracted her tooth and surrounding bone. They shaved and sculpted it and drilled a hole into it to insert an optical cylinder lens. The tooth and lens were then implanted under the skin on her cheek for about two months so that they could bond. Weird. So for two months, Sharon is tootling around with a science project sewn inside her mouth. So you can see how this is pretty complex. Yeah. Now, it has to be her tooth, too, because of That's rejection. Right. Of, yeah, okay. Yeah. Perez knew that it would be a risk for him and the procedure in the States, too, meaning that there are so many things that can go wrong. He said, but she was willing to take the risk of undergoing the procedure, understanding that there was a good chance it wouldn't work and she could lose the eye. Her spirits, though, were high. He also said he had to live with the concept that if it didn't work, people would quit on the procedure and maybe not refer patients to him anymore. So they practiced with cadaver teeth and made trial versions of what they would do with Thornton's tooth. Okay, so back to the procedure. The tooth is used because the patient's body would reject an artificial base. Tooth bone and ligament have a better chance of living around the eye than a lot of other materials. So Perez removed Thornton's tooth. A hole's cut in the damaged cornea and the clear acrylic tube is custom made to allow light in, kind of like cutting a hole in a wall and sticking a telescope through. Hmm. But without something to hold the tube in place, the system fails. And that's where the tooth and the mucus layer from the inside of Thornton's mouth comes in. They sliced the root into a tiny plank and stuck the tube through the plank, then rested the plank-slash-tube combination over the hole in her cornea. That left her with a bulging eye that couldn't blink and a tube-like thing that looked like the end of a coffee stirrer poking out through her eyeball. Oh, God. And a skin graft covering the rest of the eye holding the tooth in place. Wow. It does not look pretty. No, no. I don't want to see a picture of that. You will. It worked. It started off kind of blurry, but over time and with glasses, Kay's vision will be almost normal again. That is crazy. Kay said, it doesn't bother me what I look like. I can see. So seven of... Kay's nine grandchildren had been born after she went blind. So she gets to see her grandkids. Aww. And of course, you kind of mentally image people when you don't see them. Right. And she said that one of her grandkids in particular was so different than what she had pictured. <laughs> she also says she really enjoys now all the TV shows that she used to just listen to. Her first night of the hospital, she said she stayed up for hours in her hotel room watching Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> and was, I, I, You know, I, that wouldn't have been my first choice. Well, she used to listen to it a lot. And I she see. was blown away that Dwayne Chapman was not a clean-cut Marine. <laughs> Because she pictured like this, you know, super straight edge, clean cut, high and tight marine type. And then it turns out to be like this hobo looking guy, obviously from Florida. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Amazing. 
So she's kind of relearning and and revisiting all of the things that she did while she was blind. Her and her best friend, Rick, who I mentioned earlier, they've made a plan to revisit all the places that they traveled to when she was blind so she can experience them as a person with sight. That is glorious. Yeah. So a- incredibly neat surgery that um, if you Google it, uh, you can see like the various places where it's happened around the world. It gets reported on because it's not common by any means, but it is happening. It's it's state-of-the-art procedure. It absolutely is. At this point. And I do have to mention before I wrap this up, the tooth they used, Yeah. her eye tooth. Of course it was. I got my information from the Daily Leader, from AL.com, NPR, People, and the Sydney Morning Herald. We would like to welcome our latest members of the Order of Freaks. They're now supporting us on Patreon. Welcome. Nikita, Lindsay, Shane, Ray, and Catherine. We're glad you're here. If you want to join the Order of Freaks, support the podcast on Patreon. You get ad-free episodes. You get uh, access to a monthly Zoom meeting, a bonus episode every month. There's too much to mention. If you want to find out more, go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. And we do have a very special bonus episode coming up. We're super excited about it. Yeah, we'll tell you about that in the very near future. And in the meantime, we'll look forward to seeing you. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.